Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to The Kitchen Table. We have been in a series on communication, and really, so far in the series, I've been trying to help you understand your mindset, understand your identity as you're walking into this relationship with your child. Last week, we talked about what does God actually say? And he actually says that you have been empowered, you've been entrusted with the gospel to give it to your children. And we talked about the posture in which we give it, that we give it with humility, that we don't give it lording over them, but we give it serving them. Well, now we're going to really get into the nitty gritty practical. So therefore, if we're going to be good communicators, what does that look like? Well, the first thing that looks like, and this begins in the very, very early years with our babies, is it begins with connection. We must connect with our child. We are living in a time where I absolutely am guilty of not choosing to connect with my child in the ways that I'm going to talk about because I'm distracted, whether it's by my phone or by my tasks or by just the worries of the day. So if there are spaces where you're like, hmm, that might be me, I might be disconnected, we're going to go back over the basics of connecting and we're going to talk about big feelings and how do we help our child navigate big feelings today. And then we're actually going to get into some neuropsychology concepts because I think they're actually going to help you have compassion for your child and have vision for your child. So let's begin from the beginning, from the times that our babies just are placed in our arms in the hospital room when they're born, we want to begin to connect with them. We want to begin to connect with our eyes. We want to begin to connect on their level. There is a difference in connecting with our child standing above them and squatting down and looking at them. And so we want to make a practice of squatting down, getting on their eye level, not demanding that they always crane their neck up to look at us, but we want to get down on their level. And then thirdly, we give them all of our face. Y'all, this is so important in these last 10 or 15 years as I've watched mothering change. So I started mothering 24 years ago in the last 10 or 15 years with the absolute movement towards phone um, usage. We lack giving our faces to our children. We give them our ear. We say, I'm listening to you, but we're doing something else at the same time. And if we want to be women, mothers who emulate what we talked about last week of First Thessalonians 2, where we absolutely take care of our children affectionately, ready to share not only the gospel, but our very lives, knowing that our very lives are what are going to 
make the gospel relevant to our child, then we don't just give our child our ear. We give our child our face. We stop what we're doing, get on their level, and we look them in the face. You know, it says in scripture that God listens to our prayers and that verb for listen is actually a verb that says he leans in. And the longer I've mothered and the more I've recognized the value of actually physically leaning towards my child as they're talking to me, it helps me engage more, helps me listen better. And so I do think that that would be the fourth thing. We give our eyes, we get on their level, we give them our face because really that's going to engage us in a much more intimate way to connect with them. And then finally, we kind of lean in where we're really actively listening to what they're saying. And there are many times that I am not. So I want you to understand, I recognize this is hard and it is costly. It costs us our time because we may be in the middle of something as necessary as cooking dinner and to squat down and to listen in on a little child's story about what they're playing with with their Lego piece feels costly in the moment. But it the dividends that return to you in terms of connection for the long haul are important. How then do we measure our days? Because it is also impractical for me to every moment of every day be squatting down talking to my little ones or my big ones. And I have eight. So there's a lot of people who have, want to have conversations. So how, what are they, how then does this play out, Bethany, practically? Well, two things. The first thing is the question I ask myself, which is, is what I am doing absolutely must get done in the second? Or do I actually have time? Because oftentimes I can believe I don't have time if I'm just plowing through trying to get a task done, if I'm very task motivated. But when I understand, no, while this task can be done in the next 30 minutes, it does not need to be done in the next five minutes, then I can give my child the few minutes, right? So that's the first question that I ask myself. But if the answer is no, this must get done right now. It cannot, you know, if I'm in the middle of cooking pancakes, I cannot stop flipping pancakes or they're going to burn. And this child is desperately needing my attention right now too. And I know that's a silly example, but so therefore I need to quickly communicate to my child what you're saying is very important to me. I have to finish flipping these pancakes, right? So what I have found is what I usually will do, big or little, I will quickly look them in the eye, get on their level for a minute and say, I really want to hear what you have to say. I have to finish flipping this pancake. Then I get up from their level. I say, so will you please stand right here with me? And I will either try and pat them, hold them or whatever. If they're little, you know, physically demonstrating I'm interested in them finish the task or finish, get to a stopping point in the task and then return to them. When we remember from the last couple of weeks, we talked about the fact that Christ models that relationship was of higher importance to him than task. When we understand that we have been 
called, approved, and entrusted with the gospel to speak that to our children. And that is both in truly sharing words of the gospel and our very lives. Then we can begin to weigh our tasks in our relationships on the scale that Christ calls us to weigh them on, which means that truthfully, relationship trumps task. It does in God's economy. But I know that that requires wisdom from us because tasks also have to be done. But how we communicate with our child helps validate, helps impart to them they are important to us. This relationship is more important than this task mommy's having to do. And as soon as I can get to a stopping point in my task, I want to hear. I want to grow my relationship with you. I want to listen to you. That's what we're trying to communicate with our child. So we have to begin from the beginning of birth. We are seeking to create a connection through our eyes, on the level with them, giving all of our face and leaning in. And then secondly, as our kids are between zero and three, what do we inevitably experience? One of the first stages we experience with our children is big feeling stage, right? That's somewhere between one and a half and four. Somewhere in there, your child will hit the tantrum stage. The big feeling stage is what I like to call it. I think sometimes the word tantrum kind of has a yucky connotation. I mean, who wants to have your child having a tantrum? But if we can understand that really what they're experiencing are big feelings with a lack of ability to communicate them, it can give us a little more empathy and more compassion for them. So let's talk really quickly from a brain perspective. Why do our children have tantrums? Because it's interesting to me what is going on. So in this early stage of life, zero to three, our children have massive growth happening right all over their body. Well, one place that they're having growth is in their brain, stands to reason, and specifically in what is called the prefrontal cortex of their brain. Now, you didn't come to listen to a biology lesson, but we're going to do a little bit of it. What happens is there is this part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, which develops in a huge spurt between the ages of zero and three. And then interestingly enough, the next massive brain growth time for that part of your child's brain is between around 10 to 12 and 25. Isn't that interesting? When do we see big feelings? When do we see big outbursts of feelings? Early in life. And then once we hit those tween and teen years with our kids, right? Because they're together. So this part of your brain and my brain and our child's brain does five things. It governs reasoning, problem solving, comprehension, impulse control, and their creativity, perseverance. That's kind of one. So this is a part of the brain where we actively have emotional regulation coming from because we're reasoning, we're solving our problems, we're able to understand so we can put some control over our impulses. We can persevere when something's hard. But when we have our little ones and then again in those teen years, we oftentimes see poor perseverance, right? They're very quick to decompensate and fall apart. Poor impulse control, poor reasoning, 
poor problem solving. These are the places that this is developing. So when does your prefrontal cortex finally develop? Well, scientists say not until around 25 years old. What impacts your prefrontal cortex? Well, one thing that impacts it is stress. Isn't that interesting? So the higher the stress, the poorer your prefrontal cortex will work. (laughs) It will not react well. And so, yes, we are doing things that are pointing to the gospel. We are doing things that are walking with our child that actively work to speak to them about their identity in Christ, who they are, understanding their sin, their tendencies, um, offering them hope. These are the gospel conversations we are having all the while understanding in our head this child's neurophysiology is changing right now. And I can be a part of its development in a positive way, or I can be a part of its development in a negative way. So what helps your prefrontal cortex? Right? We just said stress weakens it. And I will guarantee you that there are probably moms listening to me today that was like, great, I've just been stressing out my child and it's my fault. And I just want to stop right there and say, no, do not let the enemy come in and say anything to you. You bring all of this to the foot of Jesus and you say, I'm learning and I know the truth is that I have been approved by you and entrusted with the gospel. And I am asking to please you, God, by speaking gospel truths to my child. Help me understand how I can walk with my child even understanding their neurophysiology. So what helps a prefrontal cortex? Because that would be important for us to know. Well, I find it very interesting. So what helps it? Good sleep patterns. We want our children to be in good sleep patterns. Well, when are the worst sleep patterns? <laughs> those early years and then in, the, then in those teen years. So again, we want to have that understanding and try and begin to create actively create good space for them. So good sleep patterns. We need to move our bodies. That helps your prefrontal cortex is moving your bodies. That's um, dancing. That's uh, karate. That's like yoga, Pilates. It's those kinds of movements, full body movements, your whole body involved, not sports. This is full body movements, telling stories, make believe, Playing word games, crazy enough, like puns, riddles, word association games. Those are all amazing ways to help a prefrontal cortex develop. And then the final thing, touch, hugs. Hugs actually can help a prefrontal cortex's impulse control rein in. So isn't that interesting? A lot of the things that naturally, as a mother, we kind of understand to be important, getting good sleep, loving on your child physically, playing make-believe, running and jumping around, being silly in the kitchen, are actually really important. They really are. So that helps us, right? A little bit. So now that we kind of know we've defined prefrontal cortex, we understand what stresses stress weakens it, it's not going to develop all the way until they're 25. And we kind of have some ideas of how we can help it. Let's talk about the times that our children are experiencing big feelings. And we want to help equip them to communicate their big feelings. Whether it is truly a tantrum, whether it is just their 
overwhelmed, we want to be the person in their life that comes alongside of them, that mirrors even their posture and says, I'm listening. I'm engaged with you. What you have to say is important. So the first thing, am I, this is something I have found very valuable with even my little ones is number one, we allow the big feeling. We give space for it, even when it's inconvenient. You know, there was a, a, a thought process, I think when my, my oldest were young and I don't, I don't know if it is even now or not of, we just don't let tantrums happen or we walk away from a tantrum. I found that to be not very valuable. Um, it is better, I think, personally, to give space for the tantrum, understanding that really what's happening is this child completely lacks an ability to communicate whatever's going on. And it has reached a point, and there's an energy level that they've been holding on to for whatever reason that has reached a point of explosion. And by giving them space to erupt for a moment, clear that emotional overload out, then I can begin to help them navigate communicating about it. But if I walk away and they're left to just cry on the floor by themselves, I'm not actually equipping them to communicate very well. But once the emotional explosion is finished, consistently, my children are ready for prefrontal cortex work. From the neurophysiology perspective, <laughs> they're ready for a hug. They're ready for a cuddle and for some com- conversation. But what they need is they need the equipping of this is how we're going to communicate about what you're feeling. And so step one is we allow it. Step two is then we hear it through. And what I mean by that is now that the energy is expelled, they're done. We now want to, in essence, begin to be a good question asker. We want to ask questions that don't require a yes-no response. We want to ask questions that require sentences back. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me you're frustrated. What happened and made you frustrated? Explain to me how or what you're thinking. And we want to be very good listeners. Now, when my child are very young, when they're in that pre-verbal stage, obviously they don't have the skills to give me all that, but I'm going to begin modeling it there for them. And the way we do that is I will give them two options and begin to say, do you feel frustrated because you don't feel like mommy was listening? Or do you feel frustrated because you don't feel like you're getting what you want to do. You know, you, you will know, given the context, probably why they're frustrated. Your job there is not to say you shouldn't act that way when you're frustrated. Your job right there is to help them learn to communicate what they're feeling in a place of low stress, meaning that you're a good listener. You're hearing it through. You're asking questions because thirdly, by doing it in that way, you are validating their feelings while also directing their thoughts. And I think this is an important thing. We hear all the time that we should validate feelings. And I do agree. 
that we need to listen to our child's feelings. It doesn't mean, though, that their feelings are true. Because we have an enemy who oftentimes wants to speak lies to us that impact our feelings. But we want to validate, meaning we're saying your feelings are important, but we want to always lay your feelings in front of the truth of the word and help understand what the truth is in this situation. Not in a way that gets us our way as the mother. Right? We need to be careful with that. Again, remember, going back to 1 Thessalonians 2, we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we we speak to please God. We don't want to speak to please ourselves and become the sheepdog who's demanding that this child does what we want them to do. But when we begin this way of communicating with our child, where we, in the big feeling, we allow it to happen, we hear it through. We are willing to give time and ask the good questions and help them communicate exactly what lays at the very, very bottom of this. By doing that, we're validating their feelings, saying, I'm listening to your feelings and you are important to me and relationship is important to me. My relationship with you is incredibly important. And so I'm here for it. I'm here for the big feelings and then going, but it's not just validating the feelings. It's validating the feelings, but directing the thoughts. So we're directing their thoughts back to what do you think God thinks about this whole situation? And to me, that is a key question that probably has brought the most fruit forth in my relationships with my children is just simply asking them, what do you think God thinks about the situation? It does a couple of things. It allows them to begin to seek after what God thinks, begins to teach them. You can have thoughts about what God thinks. We're equipping them just a little bit to be discerning. We're beginning even at one, two, and three to say, hey, you can have a relationship with God and you can begin to understand who God is and what he thinks. See, there's a difference between me wielding the big God sword and saying, God doesn't like what you were just doing. Or being like it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, being the mom who says, what do you think God thinks about this? Because I promise God thinks more than just he doesn't like what you're doing. But it also displays for us where our children are in understanding the gospel. So when I get a response back, God hates it. So they've thrown this big hissy fit. I've listened to through, helped them communicate their feelings. And then I ask the big question, what do you think God thinks? And they say, well, he hates it. Well, more often than not, that opens or helps me understand that this child in that moment is believing God. The heartbeat of God is the angry father sitting on high, casting judgment. And yes, God is holy and he does not tolerate sin. But our God is compassionate, and he sent Jesus Christ as the mediator and as the redeemer. And when in that moment with that question, what do you think God thinks about this? That opens a door wide for me to begin to direct truth into this conversation and to say, I can tell you, number one, the first thing that God thinks is he loves you. 
He loves you in the middle of your hissy fit here on the floor. He loves you. Do you think he loves you right there? Now wait to hear what they have to say. God is not angry with you. He has great compassion for you. He wants you to know his help. He wants you to know his salvation that he offers through Jesus. He wants you to have a great relationship with him where you can talk to him in the middle of your hissy fit and cry and he doesn't turn away and he doesn't get angry. You see, that's what God thinks. You see how we can, when we allow space for the big feeling, then we can actually open the door for the gospel to come into that conversation. It is vital when we are talking with our kids to understand that that is a must pivot moment. But when we do it, it brings huge fruit and it pleases God as it talks about in first Thessalonians two, it pleases him because we are pointing to him and we're not just sharing ourselves, which is giving our time, listening, helping sit around and hear it through. Yes. But when we begin to direct thoughts back to the gospel, We're sharing the gospel with our children in very real and practical ways. Our children really need us to walk through these kinds of trenches with them when they're very young. Then it's like we hit that sweet spot, right? They get a little bit into those elementary years and it's like the golden years. And then again, as they begin to hit the tween and teen years, we need to begin to say again to ourselves, oh, it's cranking back up. And we're struggling with problem solving, struggling with comprehension, struggling with reasoning, impulse control, perseverance. It's prefrontal cortex development. And so we begin to push again actively to help that system develop. And we do that through communication. So what happens? There's other natural places where I think that my children have struggled over the years. They've struggled with transitions or with pickup and and drop-offs. So I've had some children who are very fearful children and they're very clingy children. And they have needed me to, when I pick them up or drop them off for a school function or a play function, any kind of a pickup drop-off, nursery at church, I need to be able to give them my full attention, both in the leaving, saying goodbye as I scoot them into the classroom, and on the picking them back up. When there's been any kind of a transition, whether it's a transition from, you know, they're playing in the evening to our bedtime rituals, when it's from, hey, we're about to leave the house and go run errands, um, when it's, you know, those kinds of transitions, for some children, they're very easy. For other children, these are very hard and stressful times. And remember, stress impacts the cortex, that prefrontal cortex. So if you have a child who is stressed by quick changes in scenery, quick, um, they're more sensitive type children, and and I have those, I've had to learn that in order to help that child, the first thing I need to do is connect. So it is not going to be very helpful for me to say from the kitchen to my child playing in the living room, in five minutes it's bedtime, or ten minutes it's bedtime. What is more powerful and yields a lot of fruit is 
stopping cleaning the kitchen for one minute, walking into that child, squatting down on their level, giving them my my eyes and my face and saying, listen, I'm going to set a timer for five minutes and then you and I are going to go upstairs and we're going to start getting ready for bed, okay? And I've got my hand on their shoulder. They may still not like it. But when I take a little bit more time for connection, it actually lowers the stress and allows that child to receive that input better. And then honestly, the last one is the impulse control moments with our children. When we understand that the prefrontal cortex governs impulse control, and all of a sudden we have a child who is just bursting out with anger or choosing to lie or acting a little compulsive. Like I think the first step that I have done with those children is begin to say, first of all, how am I connecting and how am I communicating with this child? Because that needs to be in place, even if I need to get extra help in there, even if I need to get other wisdom and other counseling involved. The first thing that needs to happen, though, is I need to be actively participating the way I understand God calls me to. And part of that goes back to saying, I'm going to give my full eye contact. I'm going to be on your level. I'm going to give you all of my face. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to actively say your relationship with me is more important than anything else that's going on. And then finally, in terms of all this communication, the biggest thing that I have learned to do to help with inroads with my children of being a mom who they communicate with and a mom who pursues communication with them is fiercely praying for them. You know, we discount it. I should have probably led the podcast with it, but I want to spend about five minutes here saying, what do we pray actively for our children in this space of communication? What do we pray? Why do we pray it? And what are the scriptures that we anchor in? Here are two scriptures that I have prayed for my children and for my relationship with my children that have to do with connection and communication. The first one is Psalm 1914. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, the first part about that is for me personally. Lord, before I engage with this child, before I seek to communicate with this child who's throwing a you know, tantrum on the ground, who's throwing a fit up in their room, who's stomped up the stairs and slammed a door. Lord, let my words, my mouth, what I'm thinking, my meditations be pleasing to you, Lord. Settle me first. And then God, as you go before me into this, Lord, please let this child hear from you and let them be softened so that they can we can communicate well, right? It's it's a both and. It's not just praying for my kid to be a good communicator. This is me and, and probably starts with me. Again, we've talked over and over on the podcast. We are the temperature setters. If I am, especially what we're about to talk about in James 1, where James 1 verse uh, 19 says... Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So that is a prayer that is first mine. I pray it for me. And then I pray it for my child as I'm trying to engage with that child and helping to connect with them first so that they can learn to communicate is number one, I need to be very quick to hear. I am tuned in and I am listening well, but I am slow to speak, especially slow to speak my opinion. And honestly, in my mothering over 27 years, my kids will tell me they've heard a lot of the opinion of mama. And so learning more and more to pray actively, God, let me be slow to speak so that, as it says back down in verse 21, so that I can receive with meekness, the implanted word first. And then so my child is willing to receive the implanted word. So those are two prayers. Those are two spaces, two pieces of scripture that you can begin, put it on a cardstock, put it on your mirror and just say, Lord, make these be scriptures that reflect in the way that we communicate in this home. I'm so glad you're here at the kitchen table, and I'm so glad we can work these things out. I want you to know that I am learning as much as I am teaching, but I would love, I love hearing from y'all. So if you have specific instances, something about this, something about communicating with your children and learning to do it practically and learning to plant it in the gospel for yourself, feel free to send me, um, you can get on my website and talk into, there's a speak pipe there, a place where you can actually talk in and leave me a message. You can send me an email. Uh, I send a newsletter out every week and you can always reply to that if you are receiving the, the newsletter. And if you're not, and you would like the newsletter again, feel free to reach out and let me know. And I will get one on the way to you more than anything. I want you to know that the reason that we are able to communicate is because God communicated richly and continues to communicate richly with us through his son, Jesus Christ, and now through the Holy Spirit. His word is rich. It is full of all we need to understand how to walk as a godly woman loving kids well. And we get the privilege of doing that with our children with him. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.